There have been a lot of great hockey players over the years. Legends, both on and off the ice. The Overtime Podcast checks in with some of hockey's biggest names and talks about what these great players are up to today. Welcome to the Overtime Podcast. Here's your host, Gino Retta. Hey, hockey fans. Welcome to the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. I'm your host, Gino Retta. You know, I've spent over four decades working in the game of hockey, fortunate enough to meet some of the great legends of the game, saw them come into the league, watched them shine in the game, and now they've moved on to life after the game. The 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast gives us a chance to catch up, tell some great stories, relive some great memories, and hear what they're up to today. Today's legend, the Stanley Cup champion who played almost 700 games in the NHL in 13 seasons, a tough, hard-nosed right winger for the Habs, the Bruins, and the Rangers, known in hockey circles by his nickname Knuckles, holds the NHL record for most career penalty minutes by an American-born player, one of only nine players to have amassed over 3,000 career penalty minutes in the NHL since retiring He's had some off-ice battles with addiction and some uh, like a lot like he had hockey battles, but he's met those challenges head-on and come out on the other side of it. Please welcome the host of the Raw Knuckles podcast, my buddy Chris Nyland. Chris, welcome to the show, my friend. Gino, thanks for having me, pal. Uh, good to see you. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, Hot from the oven in minutes, 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. It's been a while. It's been a while since you and I have been able to connect. How are you doing? Uh, life is good. You know, listen, um, I certainly, uh, had my, my share of struggles, uh, during my post career, which I've, um, battled through, uh, and continue on a daily basis to battle through those struggles. But, uh, life is good. I'm living here in Montreal. Um, I, um, uh, started the podcast, Raw Knuckles podcast, which I love doing a lot of fun. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little difficult to get guests, which is, you know, kind of uh, something that you really got to work at. And I hate hounding people, but I do. And, um, you know, I'm just uh, I, I'm involved in the community here and uh, Liam Foundation, do a lot of work with the Liam Foundation, uh, uh, which is a buddy of mine. His son is has a rare mitochondrial disease and um I've been doing a lot of work with Kevin and the Montreal Children's to raise money for them. But, um, yeah, so life is good. Living back here, I'm an ambassador with the Habs, which uh, was an honor that uh, I just could never imagine was going to come my way. And uh, uh, I, I just I've always loved the organization, feel indebted to the organization for what they've done for me. And, um, yeah, uh, it just uh, life is good. Life is good. You know what I always appreciate about you, Chris, and, and there's so many things I appreciate. We'll get into it over the next little while is you're real appreciative. You're real appreciative. You know, I've listened to your podcast and and you and I have worked together in the past for a while. And I watched you as, you know, as a broadcaster and as a fan, you always seemed to go out of your way to acknowledge the people 
that have been part of your life and impactful in your life. Where does that come from? The fact that that's so important for you to get that out there. Well, I, listen, I certainly starts uh, with my parents, you know, my mom and dad, uh, my dad, uh, was a man of um, really uh, integrity, uh, backbone, uh, and he was morally sound person, and he had great values, and he tried to impress those upon me. Now, uh, I'll never forget, um, you know, him telling me one day after I come out of the forum, after a game, he was waiting in the garage, and people would say, oh, can I get a picture and get an autograph? And I was signing and stuff. And afterwards, he pulled me aside, and he said, listen, he said, that's all great and everything. He said, you better keep your friggin' feet on the ground mm. and, and don't ever big cheese anybody think you are king shit because you're not. You know, you're just a hockey player. You, you should be grateful for that. And and <laughs> he never failed to remind me of that. God bless him. And – um you know, that certainly rubbed off on me. There's no question about it. I was always taught um, in my household to respect my elders, um, be polite, uh, be a good person. And listen, I have failed at times. There's no question about it. And I take full credit for that. And I always will. And that's another thing. Uh, you know, my father hated liars. And it's one thing I'm not as a liar. Mm. And um he taught me to be true to myself too. And he taught me to um, stick up for people that can't for whatever reason, stick up for themselves. And that's something I always did in my life and I continue to do. And I yeah. will to the day I die. And um, yeah. So those, those values really come from, from my parents. And honestly, when I look back, I'm really grateful for having the relationship I did with my coach uh, when I was in minor league hockey, Judge Paul King. All my coaches in my yeah. hockey, but Judge Paul King was uh, just an incredible human being. He was an incredible guy in my life. He was he was almost like my other dad. Um, yeah. He saw something in me that that a lot of people didn't. He, he is the reason that I get drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. He was friends with Dickie Moore and Doug Harvey, and he asked um, Dickie and Doug if they would go to St. Pollock and um, do them a favor and just draft me um, and wow. get me to come to training camp. And I only found this out and uh, about the judge uh, when he passed away. Uh, I had met Dickie at the judge's funeral and we went for lunch afterwards. And Dickie said, the judge never wanted me to tell you. But wow. The reason why the Canadians drafted you is because he had asked me and Doug to go to Sam Pollock and and do do him a favor and just draft Chris. Take him with the last pick, whatever. And here's what the judge said to Dickie. He said, you just draft Chris Nyland and he'll do the rest. And when Dickie told me <laughs> and that, you did I, was, that. Oh, I was blown away. And as a, you know, when I I look back and I think about the judge, like I always knew, like I was one I was one of his favorites. He was great with kids. He had arthritis, yeah. sit in the court all day, hunched over. Uh, he would come down the rink at night after he had six kids of his own. He had one Down syndrome boy, and he this guy was an incredible human being. And 
he always, he would take me for pizza. We'd talk, we'd, you know, he would always talk about the Canadians. I was like, why is this no. guy like the Canadians so much? But, <laughs> you know, and I find out after he's dead and gone that he said that to Dickie. And that, that's how I get drafted by the Canadians. Thank and I, I'm forever grateful to the judge, Dickie and um, and, and and Doug Harvey for, you know, sticking an X out and, and getting me an opportunity. It's amazing. But then you're, the door gets open, but then you got to prove yourself. You've got to deliver because they said, you know, like the judge said, you give him an opportunity, he'll do the rest. So the Habs take you uh, in the 13th round. <laughs> you mentioned this. Well, back in 1987. 19th. People say, say yeah. it was 231 out of 231 overall. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next major person that steps into your life, you need a guy who believes in you, who's willing to give you a chance, who's willing to give you some room to grow. And we were talking about this guy um, a couple of shows ago when I had uh, Pierre Turgeon on the show, who's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. And he said, by far the greatest coach he ever played for was Jacques Lemaire. And yeah. this was a guy who ended up becoming extremely impactful in your life and your transition to the NHL as well. Yeah, it was huge. Well, it, it first started with Claude Ruel. Um, you know, the, the year I was drafted uh, uh, with the Canadians, I was their last pick, and Danny Jeffreyon was the first. And the Boomer was coaching that year, my first year. I came to training camp, got sent to Halifax. I went down to Halifax, and I was fighting every night. I had one fight, Glenn Cochran, cut him open. Next thing, everybody wanted to fight me. Anyway, um, I come up. Uh, Boomer got let go, and Claude Rell brought me up. And he really worked with me every day. He, had, he, he just saw that I was hungry, and I wanted to work, and I wanted yeah. to learn. And he was a teacher, so he, he worked with me. After Claude... You know, Bob Berry came and then Jacques came. And when Jacques came, um, he not only continued that teaching, uh, you know, Clodorel taught me to work, yeah, hard and work on certain things, those fundamentals. But when Jacques came in, he kind of refined it with me. And he 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 got specific with me. Uh, things I really had, like with Claude, I worked on everything. Yeah. And, and not that I didn't with Jacques, but Jacques, you know, he would take me at the center faceoff circle and he'd stand at the edge with a puck and he'd move it certain areas. I had to react to the puck and he was working on, he would tell me, you're working on your foot speed, you're crossing over. Uh, we got to work on getting you quicker. What was it like, Chris, to have somebody who said, you know what, this guy's coming in, let's be honest, as a fighter at that point, as a tough guy, a guy who's going to go out there and protect his mm -hmm. players, but he would not allow you just to be that one-dimensional guy. He said, no, we're going we're gonna to work on your game. What, would, what did that mean to you to have a guy who wanted to be there for you at those different levels? Well, it meant the world because, you know, just to be used as a fighter, um, I, I couldn't have done my job. Honest to God, I wouldn't have been a happy hombre sitting on the bench, going out and fight and come back. And I wouldn't have, it, it wouldn't have worked. And, you know, I was driven to become a player and I had all that help. And, it, and yeah. it, quite frankly, I think the organization, why I'm so grateful is because they weren't happy with just that. I think if I went to maybe another organization, OK, this kid's a fighter. Let's just fight. Yeah. That's all we want. They wanted me to be more and they helped me do that. But in, in, in Jacques, you know, he bring me down in front of the net and right in the crease with a bunch of pucks, flip them up forehand, backhand under the bar. And he'd tell me, you got to, this is where you're going to score goals from. You got to be able to get the puck up over the goaltender, get it up quick. You need quick hands. So he'd work on that. 
And then in practice, we constantly did drills with pucks. And he, he one day he came to me, he said, he said, how, how long do you think you get the puck in a game? And I'm like, oh, a minute. You know, he goes, what? A minute? <laughs> and I, then I stopped and thought, and I said, oh, maybe 30 seconds. He said, what? He said, you're lucky if you have it on your stick for 10 seconds. Lucky. Yeah. And when I thought of it, and he said, the reason why I do all these drills with puck, because some guys are more natural with the puck. Other guys aren't. Yeah. So when you get the puck, you have to do something good with it. Not just throw yeah. it away. Not just let it blow up on you. You have to do something good with it. So he stressed all that. And, you know, he was also. Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Because what that brings to mind right away was, so you're early in your days with the Habs, and there's an opportunity in a game against the Jets where Chris Nyland gets a penalty shot. And now you're a hero on that team. The fans love you because of what you do. The guys on the bench love you because you're always sticking up for them no matter what. And now you're awarded a penalty shot. Walk our audience through the way that all unfolded. What happened before you took the shot and then how it all played out? Well, it's funny. I, I People couldn't believe I got a penalty shot, but I, I had improved my skating to the point where I could get up and down the ice pretty good. And yeah, um, I ended up getting a pass and cut inside of, uh, Randy Carlisle, and he yanked me down from behind with a hook because you could kind of do that back in the day. And, yeah, yeah, you could. Uh, you could get the stick up, and it was okay. Now the stick's yeah. parallel to the ice. You're toast. So I get the penalty shot, and, you know, everybody's going nuts, and the place, everybody's on their feet, and I remember I was I was nervous as all hell. And um guys on the bench, I looked over and they were kind of laughing, you know. And I remember Ludwig yelling, Knuckles, dump it in, you know. <laughs> and, I like, oh, that's it. and I was just going out to get ready to get going. Well, goaltender got set, Brian Haywood. And Bob Ganey came to me and said, Listen, don't listen to anybody. Do what you think is right. Just do what you think is right. And it yeah. settled me right down. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do what I think is right. And I went in and um, I faked shooting and then pulled it around him and threw it up, up on my backhand. And it was so funny. Brian Haywood got traded to us like two weeks later. And <laughs> It's your fault. You chased him out of town. <laughs> <laughs> he goes walking in the room. And and I first thing I said to him, I goes, what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> he said, I'm thinking this big dummy's going to come in and put his head down and shoot it right in my pads. And that's exactly what he thought, because once I, I dropped my head for a second, like I was going to shoot it and he froze. And I just yeah. went, it was, it was actually easy. I couldn't believe to our it. viewers. You guys, you got to go on YouTube. It's on YouTube. You got to see it. The reaction for me, I don't know what was more fun and amazing was watching you score the goal, which was a pretty goal. It was no yeah. fluke. Or the freaking reception you got after the goal from nice. your teammates. Go on YouTube, check it out. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, to our viewers, you gotta see it. And I, I, you know, and it wasn't isolated. Your your coaching staff, your teammates, guys began to believe in you, and you were a big part of your sixth season in the NHL. Was the ninety five, the eighty five, eighty six season where um, the Habs won the Stanley Cup, and you were a huge part of it. You set an NHL record that still stands to this day, 141 penalty minutes in just 18 games in the playoffs, and yet you were a huge part of that Stanley Cup run. What are your memories of that? Jeez, just, you know, when we got started, uh, Boston, going into Boston, and Boston was like, 
you know, and then it was the best uh, three out of five, right? Uh, that first mm-hmm. round, and you know, it can it can end quick for you. Yeah. And, you know, we we kind of own Boston. You know, in the playoffs, it, one it, of the great it, rivalries of all time. Yeah, they sport. weren't they weren't easy series, but we always ended up coming out on top, and we we yeah. end up sweeping them, which was kind of surprising that they didn't win one game, but. We swept them, and then uh, I, I just remember the Hartford series, and I remember Game 7. That's what I'll say. And, yeah. um, you know, I remember Babbage uh, sitting on the bench, and he got the puck, and it was less just about a minute left in the game, 59 seconds, and he shot it from the point, and in it went, and they tied, us, tied the game at 2. And I remember going in the locker room and hearing all the cliches, you know, you know, everything at the net, everything full, you know, make sure hearing everything. And I I remember that nervous feeling after they scored with like, Oh my God, I'm there. Oh, we, we, we let this one go, you know? And sure enough, we come out and Claude the mule ends up scoring that goal. And then game seven and overtime is incredible. He knocked the defenseman down his butt, grabbed the puck and put it upstairs. And I always say it like Patrick gets a lot of credit. We had the best, Defensive team in the league that year. Yep. In the NHL season, we had a. And I'm not taking anything away from Patrick Watt, but Claude Lemieux had as much to do with that Stanley Cup as Patrick did. When yeah. When you look at, he had five game winning goals, couple overtime goals, one in New York, two. He was incredible. And you know, I remember. I, I guess for me, the Stanley Cup final, I, I end up tearing ligaments in my ankle, and I tried to go uh, that last game and. Um, Calgary, they froze my ankle and I came in the room. I was so bummed out. Uh, and Big Surge said, sorry, you can't go, big boy. And I, I, mean, I can go, you know, uh, the old. And he said, no, you can't. You have to think of the team. You have to put the team first. So That's a good Savard invitation, I got to say. That's good. Yeah, oh, yeah. But believe me, I've heard enough of Surge that I could yeah. uh, I get it down good. But And I remember Don Cherry kissing me on uh, TV in between periods. Telling me he loved me. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables. Like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, Hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. I'll tell you what, what came out of that was how critically important uh, a role player like you could be 
in a Stanley Cup run. And it was, I think the Habs fans, your teammates, um, people understood that locally. But for the first time on a, on a, on a the huge stage that was the Cup final, people really took recognition. And what did it end up doing? We're in conversation with Chris Nyland, Stanley Cup champion. Uh, it's a 7-Eleven overtime podcast. Right out of that, uh, Team USA is prepping for the 87 Canada Cup. Mm-hmm. And listen, I don't think I'm saying thing out of school here. Probably before that cup final, you're not thinking, hey, maybe one day I'll play for Team USA at the Canada Cup. But you got a phenomenal call and a conversation and an opportunity for Team USA. Tell our audience about that. Yeah. Um, Badger Bob reached out uh, to me, Bob Johnson. God love him. Um, and invited me. One of the legends of all time. I love how you're mentioning you're dropping all these names of guys who are among the yeah. legends of all time that are part key parts of your life, eh? Yeah. And and the Badger, um, you know, he just loved the game of hockey. Uh, he liked the, the, that hard, tough hockey. And I, I'll never forget, I'm in training camp and I'm with Team USA, all happy. And I'm happy I'm there and thinking, do I really get a shot at this? Brett Hall was there, right? Yep. Um, and they end up uh, coming down the last couple practices, and they're going to make cuts. And I remember after practice one day, he, everybody's down on a knee, and he said, you know, we're playing you – know, he's talking about the tournament, and he said, we got a pre-tournament schedule. We're playing Team Canada uh, like three times or four times or something. And he said, we're going to need guys like – Knuckles and Joel Otto against Team Canada, a big, tough team, and they're, they're really talented. And I'm like, do I get a chance at this? And next thing, they make the cuts, and he ends up keeping me. And I remember <laughs> Brett Hall was <laughs> – he would come out in the newspaper and said something about how ridiculous it was, ridiculous it was that they kept me over him. <laughs> and the fact of the matter was Brett Hall was a fat bastard at training camp. <laughs> he was fat, and he was out of shape. He didn't deserve to be there. And Badger Bob saw that. And actually, when he went back to Calgary, he treated the, him the same way. You know, he yeah. had issues with him weight-wise. So regardless, I ended up making the team. And, you know, I had a decent tournament. I ended up, you know, I had three points for a, a, a slug like me, two goals and one assist in five games. Uh, I, I did my job. I provided my teammates with with that security and knowing I was there. I played physical hockey. and Yeah. It was awesome to to be able to represent your country. I just, it was so It was cool. amazing. It was I'm amazing. grateful to Bob for that. Yeah. So we're talking about Jacques Lemaire, the impact that he had in a positive way. Badger Bob, legend, impact in a positive way. But sadly, there's some guys along the way who want to pigeonhole you, who want to say, this is what we need from, from Chris, and this is the role we need to play. And one of those guys um, was Jean Perron. It was no secret. This was a guy that that kind of, you know, when he was running the organization for the for the Habs and running the bench, there were certain roles that he wanted you in, and wasn't afraid to verbalize it. Tell us the story about when when he came in, because there were times where coaches would literally come to you and others who played the style that you said and said, "I need you to drop the gloves. I need you to fight." Hmm. Tell us about Jean Perrault and how that impacted you. Well, it's funny, I. I... Gino, I ne- I always promised myself I would never let a coach tell me to go fight. And I'll go back to Bert Templeton. He never told me to fight in in Maine. And Bert was one of those guys who loved to do that. Never once told me to fight. Um, Bob Berry never once told me to fight. Cole Ruel, 
Um, Jacques Lemaire told me I fought too much and you should slow down a little. You And I almost didn't trust him. And then when I got to Jean, um, he never told me to fight. But it, And I always said to myself, if a coach does that, I'm going to have it out with him right away. And we were uh, in Hartford. And he went, we were going through a tough time and he went around the room and started pointing this guy and that guy. And he came to me and he said, and Chris Nyland, when's the last time you had a fight? And so I had some words for him in front of everybody and he didn't like that. And he ended up calling Serge and I ended up, uh, we were going to Buffalo after Hartford and I would remember the morning skate. I, I played I was on the line with Bob and Cabo and that morning I was, <laughs> I was in a different Jersey and I wasn't on that line. So I knew something was up and um, that was my ticket out of Montreal. Now that almost broke me. And like, I've said, this can I just pause you for a sec? That was, no, that was the trade you got dealt to the, to the, the New York Rangers. Rangers in January of 1988. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And Go then, on. And I, um, it almost broke me, but I, I didn't let it. But I'm telling you, I don't know how guys get trained. I was so impact. I was so passionate about the Canadians and so uh, into that organization and just it, it, like it was everything to me. And when I got traded, I couldn't. I remember waking up in New York and I was like, "How'd I get here?" And I always had to remember. And I. <laughs> I got to stay true to myself. And yeah. I, I, and that's what got me through. Like I always said, if I'm not going to have, listen, I, I, I have respect for everybody. If, but if you're not, not showing me any respect, if someone's going to disrespect me, you're not getting it back for me. You're not getting respect back for me. And, yeah. and I've always stayed true to that. And um, it, it crushed me. And like I said, it almost broke me, but, I got through it. I don't believe I was ever quite the same as far as passionately playing for a team or being connected to a team. I played for the Rangers, then I went to Boston, but it was never the same. Listen, I stuck up for my teammates. I still did the best yeah. I could, but there was something about that logo for me and that organization, how deeply ingrained it was in me. I, I wasn't I wasn't the same. I I can't tell you how much I appreciate the openness. Um for those who missed it, go back and take a look at it. It's it's a real classic eye opener and every hockey fan should see what a tough guy like yourself has to go through. Uh was the movie The Last Gladiators, where and and I've never had a chance to say thank you for this. Thank you for your openness and honesty that you shared in that. You know, talking about how difficult it is to be pigeonholed like that, how difficult it is day in and day out to do what you did, the pain that you suffered, um, the way you try to mask that pain uh, through the addiction battle that you went through, painkillers, and then ultimately how that even increased to heroin use at what point. At what point did you realize that there was a, there was a spiral happening and things were starting to go downhill for you? Um, you know, it's, re it, it's really hard to uh, get to that point. And that's why I was stuck in it for the amount of time I was. Uh, 
I was so busy on just trying to stay well and not be sick. Um, yeah. that, um, you know, but I had a, I had a car accident on my way to Montreal, um, that I flipped my vehicle and got ejected to it and almost got killed. And, um, I was unconscious on the side of the road and I remember waking up and I was, it, it shook me to the core. And, um, it wasn't long after that. That was in December, early December of 08. And it wasn't long after that, that I, um, I made a phone call to ask for some help. And I got that help and I ended up going off to treatment, um, back in 09. So, you know, there were times in my addiction that I, I knew I was, I was stuck in this thing. I didn't know how to get out of it. I knew nothing about, um, you know, drug and alcohol treatment. You know, I heard of Alcoholics Anonymous and all that stuff, but it, I didn't think it applied to me because I, I knew I had a problem with uh, prescription medication, but medication that I was prescribed that I thought was helping me with, with the pain I was in. I've had a ton of surgeries and, you know, all I knew is when I didn't have those pills, I was sick as a dog and felt like I was going to die. And then once I got them in my system, I, I, I felt normal. It wasn't like I was high or I was whacked out. All I did was feel normal. So it, it took the pain away. And when you swept up in that and you don't know how to get out of that, um, it's a, it's a horrendous place to be. And I was there. It wasn't fun. Uh, it was miserable, but I'm glad, um, and grateful that I found my way out and I had help doing it. You had a lot of help. You had good people surrounding you. Um, and I want to continue with looking at people in your life who are, who played major roles that share to the extent that you want to, but about Jamie, Jamie Holtz and, <laughs> and what that meant for you and, and others maybe along the line that, well, you, you tell us. Yeah, she's incredible. Well, you know, it started with Dan Cronin, the NHL. Bob Ganey actually gave me his card years, a few years before, saying, you know, listen, I know you've struggled some time. There's a guy who might be able to help you out at the NHL. And I called Dan Cronin. And uh, it's funny, when I called Dan, he said, oh, uh, he said, who's this? He, <laughs> I said, it's Chris Island. He said, oh, I've been waiting for your phone call. So, wow. you know, I, meanwhile, I think no one knows that I'm messed up and they really don't know what's going on with me. But, um, you know, and I went to treatment, got well, and then I had a relapse. And uh, I had met uh, Jamie out in Oregon. Uh, she got out of treatment and I had got out of treatment and we started dating and seeing each other. And uh, we relapsed. She went back to Hawaii. And I went back to Boston and I was struggling. I was stuck and uh, living in a hotel and uh, just every day, um, uh, you know, I ended up, I had a difficult time getting uh, the Oxycontin at the time. And um, I ended up on heroin and I was just going nowhere fast. And, you know, Jamie and I uh, had met, we, um, certainly had intense feelings for one another and we hit it off really good. And, um, she went back and got well and I was stuck and I was stuck for about seven months 
I was struggling. She was so worried I was going to die. She was cutting off contact with me. And finally she uh, called me and said she had a, I have a ticket for you. Uh, I want you to come here and see this addictionologist and meet with him. He was a former uh, Vietnam veteran and uh, he was an addict himself. And um, she said, promise me one thing, you don't show up here uh, messed up. And uh, that was going to be a sure in and of itself because I had a, you know, 14 hour flight um, <laughs> and I was going to be sick. And I was, I showed up there, I was sick as a dog. And um, I ended up uh, meeting with him the next day, got back on the horse and, and got going again. And um, I'll be forever grateful for that. She was a big part of dragging me out of that hotel room and um, and get me to a place where someone could get my attention again. And, um, and yeah, it's amazing what she did for me. I love her to death. Uh, she'd been a, a such a strong person in my life, um, which has helped me. And we've helped each other in a lot of ways. So um, we've got a great relationship. I love her to death. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty so much because the thing that goes in my mind is there may be somebody out there right now who's going through struggles, maybe not exactly the same struggles, but other battles saying there's something they're trying to overcome. Is there a message? Is there a first step? Like everybody's looking for that first step. Is there, is there a message where you would give to somebody who may be struggling in their own journey right now where you could give them an idea of how to begin the process? It starts with getting honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. You got you, you got to admit that you have a problem. You know, uh, that's the most difficult thing. And you got to admit that your life you can't manage your life anymore because of this. And and you, you got to be willing to get honest with yourself. And if you can't, then you, you that's really for me was the first step. That you know, I do have a drug problem. I do have to, I want to do something about it. I want to change my life. And uh, there's that possibility and it's there. The door can open for you, but you got to be willing to get honest with yourself and admit to yourself that you have a problem. And that was hard for me for the longest time. Yeah, And it's hard for a lot of people and I get it. Your honesty is amazing. I mean, you made a point yourself of saying your dad taught you'd never lie. You would never lie. Your honesty right now, um, your podcast, for example, you could you could just call it the Chris Nyland podcast. You could ignore the fighting part of it, but you yeah. call it the Raw Knuckles podcast. Raw because you're not holding anything back. Knuckles because you're acknowledging that was a big part of who you were. And yet you're using that as a tool to talk to people, to enjoy, to have a good conversation, but you're never one to shy away. How important has this, this podcast been in your health and, and and continuing to move forward for you? Well, listen, you know, I got into this podcast world, you know, certainly because I, I, I kind of had to. I Is had it cathartic? To, what's that? Is it cathartic for you to get it all out there just to kind of make you feel like it's a part of the process for you? Yeah, yeah, in, in a sense. You know, listen, you know, I was at TSM for 10 years. They let me go because I wouldn't get vaccinated. I accept that. That's life. I made a choice and they made their choice. And I get that. And when I, the door closed there, um, I, I'm now, okay, what am I going to do next? And it's funny you brought up the last gladiators. Um, the, the 
producer of that, Barry Reese, and I stayed friends over the years. And when I lost my job at TSN, he, uh, t- we had talked and he said, yeah, have you ever thought of doing a podcast? And I said, yeah, I've thought about it, but now I'm in a position where I think I might have to if I want to move forward. And he said, listen, I'll help you produce it. I have a production company awesome. in Pittsburgh. And away we went. And he helped me out. He helped me get back on my feet. Uh, he helped me, um, you know, learn how to um, to monetize it and um and, and be able to make a few dollars at doing it. And it, it's it's not easy. I never think it's going to happen. But we're, we're right on the precipice of that right now. Uh, That's awesome. December 1st. So it, it's been a lot of work, but I love doing it. I have fun doing it. I think the toughest part for me is, you know, getting guests. I say the toughest part. Usually when I call someone, people are pretty good. Hockey yeah. guys are great, actually, the yeah. best. But, you know, it's still, I feel like sometimes I'm being a pain in the butt asking people but you know for it to survive that's what i have to do and you know i i think i could do a little more just me uh talking and tim talking about hockey but uh you know we've been pretty guest oriented and i i like doing that i like interacting with people I like talking i like finding out find out what makes makes people tick how they got where they got you know we had john cooper on we haven't released it yet but i had john cooper on a couple of weeks ago i had marty walsh director of the NHLPA, really awesome, two awesome guys. Uh, I know Marty from Boston to begin with, but John Cooper, I've admired from far. And when I had him on, I'm telling you, I absolutely loved it. I call him super duper Johnny Cooper because he is. (laughs) This guy, what an incredible story. A lot of people don't know that story. Hockey people, some do. Some of the fans don't have a clue how he got to where he got. And how yeah. successful he's become, we see that. But the the road he took was just, it's an amazing story. So I, I love doing that. Yeah. Well, because you're a great storyteller. And the only thing that's critical about having a great storyteller is you can't just be a great storyteller. you got to have great stories. And you've yeah. got both, which is amazing. You've got, you've had some incredible people along your journey. I want to do something that we call five fast facts, where it's going to give you an opportunity to acknowledge some people quickly in your past who may have contributed. So, but I want to try to catch you off guard if I can with these questions. So you give me a quick five answers. You ready to play? Yep. All right. Five fast facts. The best teammate that you ever played with. Chelios. Wow. Who was the best coach you ever played for? Jacques Lemaire. Who did you hate playing against the most and why? Gary Risling. Because? He was yappy, he was ugly, and he was a pain in the ass. Fair enough. <laughs> you played in some great NHL cities. What was your favorite NHL city to play in? Ooh, Boston. Oh, I mean, well, yeah. Well, no, Montreal, but yeah. Montreal. But I thought you meant away from Montreal. Yeah, yeah Montreal. Fair but, enough. If you hadn't become an NHL player, what do you think Plan B would have been for you in terms of a career? I think I would have been a Green Beret. Wow. Wow. You got to explain that one to me. My dad. My dad was a Green Beret. He was a uh, sergeant major, uh, paratrooper and all that. Um, You know, I often think I would have liked to have been a Navy SEAL. Um, My my niece's husband is a SEAL. I coached him in hockey as a young kid. Um, But I don't know if I could have made the SEALs. And I only say that because I have claustrophobia 
and you wow. have to be able to get in one of them little mini subs. Yeah. I think I could have done everything else but that. And yeah, uh, but don't I don't even I, talk about that. That scares the crap out of me. Even yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. But <laughs> I honestly, um, probably I probably want the military. Awesome. It's been unbelievable chatting with you, man. I'm, you look so good. It's 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 so nice to hear you doing so well. I want to ask you about. And I mentioned you. We talked about key impactful people in your life, Jamie and and Jock, and uh, you know we talked about a lot of into. But there's somebody else that I want you to have an opportunity to mention, and and I love this about you. It's Adele. Tell our audience about Adele and the oh impact Adele plays in your life. Adele, I'm telling you that dog, uh, Saint Bernard. She is one. 130 pounds of pure love. If you want to know what love is, you gotta you gotta meet Adele. It, it is incredible. Uh, I I'm just such I became such a dog person. It it's it, they've done so much. It, it, dogs just love you. They they love you. They love you. They love you. That's it. And you gotta care for them like like they young children. And I I just love doing that. Um, Dog's been a big part of my life since I got sober. I had another dog, Bodie, who was huge in my recovery, actually. Uh, he helped me deal with um, a lot of anger issues and stuff like that. I mean, you know, every time um, I'd be watching a hockey game and I'd get, I'd get excited or something, he would come over and just sit next to me and look at me like, calm down. And... It, Zog's played such a big role in, in my recovery, too. Uh, yeah, I love them. Adele, awesome. she's the best. She's awesome. Awesome. Um, I've deliberately stayed away from calling you Knuckles. Um, during my broadcasting career, during my career as a fan, that's all I ever referred to you as. But in getting to know you over the last 10 or 15 years and in this conversation, I just feel like you're Chris. You're Chris. You're Chris, you're genuine, you're, you are who you are. I cannot tell you how, how excited I am to see where you are in this journey now. And I can't wish you anything but the best. And, and, and on behalf of people whose lives you're touching, you're continuing to touch today um, through your journey, through your battles with addiction and, and coming out of it on the other side. Thank you. Thanks for what you're doing, pal. I Gino, really appreciate um, this. Thank you for the, uh, heartfelt comments I, I i really appreciate it and it's funny uh the chris you know knuckles i got that nickname in college you know uh, from a good friend of mine and it stuck right through the nhl and you know it's funny i i don't know some people call me knuckles some people call me chris uh, one thing my mother always called me christopher and i i appreciate um the kind words and you know knuckles chris whatever and yeah. Uh, I, I'll never, I guess I'll never live that nickname down yeah. uh, as long as I live, but that's but, okay. But you've earned so much more, my friend. Thank you so much for this. Be well. Take care of yourself. Gino, thanks so much, buddy. All the best. A true gentleman. 13 years in the NHL, a Stanley Cup champion with the Montreal Canadiens, Chris Nyland. The Overtime Podcast is proudly presented by 7-Eleven and Athletes Care. Before leaving the rink, order your favorite slurpee, fresh 100% premium Arabica coffee, hot premium pizza and wings, a pint of ice cream, or even a carton of milk, a dozen eggs, local bread from the 7Now app and Team 7-Eleven. We'll have your order ready for pickup 24-7.
Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating their 25th year offering sports medicine services to both elite athletes and the general population who require rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain. Go to where the best go, Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa. Hey, if you missed any parts of the show, don't worry. Visit our website at overtimepodcast.ca where you can both listen and subscribe to future shows. 7-Eleven's Overtime Podcast can be found on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, iTunes Podcast, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next week, I'm Gino Retta saying so long, hockey fans, and thanks for joining us on the 7-Eleven Overtime Podcast. You know what time it is? It's time to crush your cravings with 7-Eleven Cravables, like their world-famous taquitos, fully loaded nachos, hot from the oven in minutes 24-7 pizza, and the one and only Slurpee. They'll deliver it straight to your door before you can say, hey dude, have you seen my phone? Get 7-Eleven delivered fast, 24-7. Use promo code FREE7 to get $7 off your first two orders of $15 or more on 7Now. Download the 7-Eleven app. The Overtime Podcast is proud to partner with Athletes Care, the preferred sports medicine clinic for legends in hockey and all other sports. Athletes Care is proud to be celebrating our 25th year offering sports medicine services in downtown Toronto. In addition to physiotherapy, our service offerings include massage therapy, chiropractic care, medical acupuncture, orthotics, and orthopedic bracing. The Athletes Care team consists of the best sports medicine doctors and specialists that have been responsible for the treatment of athletes at the highest levels of competition, including athletes from the Olympics, the NHL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. When you need rehab for a new or chronic injury or pain, go to where the best go. Athletes Care Sports Medicine Clinics with 24 locations in the greater Toronto area and Ottawa.